0: Welcome to the Sober Community Channel, where our goal is to open minds and soften hearts concerning one of the greatest healthcare crises facing our country, which is addiction to drugs and alcohol. So today I think we should talk about a kind of a topic that really touches everybody, um, I've been doing some researching from the blogging that I've been doing, and I shockingly came across the information, which I'm not sure is accurate, but it's it's literally a bigger killer than overdoses, and the topic's stigma. So, hi, T. Hi. You're familiar with that topic?
1: Oh, I so am. I think every addict, alcoholic is.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure. I I, um, I mean, it's more than a one kind of a show topic, so it's it's huge you know and i as i've been kind of doing some research on it and and looking at other people's takes and opinions and experiences i mean i think it's broken down into a lot of different segments so i mean being that you and i are both in recovery i'm sure we have some personal experiences maybe we could spend this episode just kind of sharing on that and other people can you know join in the conversation through comments and whatnot on social media so check this out, I was doing all this reading and I came across an article in the Huffington Post um, by somebody who's in recovery over 10 years sober and uh, I wrote about it, but one of the things that, that shocked me was it, it had this, you know, it talked about his experience and then the, the judgment that he, in long-term recovery, was experiencing from other people when he exposed himself or, or revealed his own anonymity. That's another side note. Like, a lot of people talk about breaking their own anonymity. Mm. You cannot break your own anonymity. You can reveal it, right? But you can't break your own. But um, And that's usually geared towards press, television, radio, and film. But if you're in the workplace or in a social circle, like to say I'm in recovery, right? And when he was doing that, um, just the responses he got were probably some things that we've seen. And there's always these questions people have, like, should I or should I not disclose? Right? And... Uh, but he made a statement at the beginning of the article that said that, that addiction or, or that stigma is is like literally a bigger killer than overdoses, and then went into that the stigma is not, it's not fed by addicts. It's fed by people who are uneducated about that. And right on that alone, I paused. Um, but before we get into that aspect of the conversation, I, I think there's absolute truth in my experience to that, that I've disclosed that I've been in recovery to people who are not I've gotten a, a, multiple different kinds of responses. Um, but even before, like talking about the workplace, I, I think so many people who are out there trying to get sober, um, they're not worried about, you know, in the middle of their run and their darkness, oh, will I get a job, right? They're worrying about disclosing to their friends and family. Yeah. And I had that. So I remember, like, I'll never forget, you know, in 2000 and probably four. Around that time, um, you know, my my family always knew that I had a problem, a substance problem. But it was mostly drinking and smoking weed and, you know, over-partying. It could have been, you know, categorized as. But when harder drugs came into play, I tried to hide that, right? And then, God forbid, crack cocaine, which carries this stigma, very much like heroin, that is, it makes you like a modern-day leper. Like, nobody wants to, you know, they ask what you want to be when you're six. I've never heard anybody say crackhead. Mm. Yeah. So... Um, I remember being in Philly and I was, I was running a little business, if you want to call it that out of, out of my home, like a a sales company. And, uh, so I did okay. And i very rarely asked my family for help financially. And I came across this one time where I got myself in a bind and I asked my mom, but maybe a month or so before that, it had came out that I was smoking crack and my sister came to visit. I was already further gone than could be hidden. And, uh, and then that word got back to my mom. And when I called her up and asked her for help, I mean, literally the word crackhead came out of her mouth. As we started to argue, I was like, I, I can pay you right back and all this stuff. And, and basically, you're smoking crack, and I'm, I'm going to give money to a crackhead. And, and um, I just remember feeling like dirtier than I ever felt in my life at that point. Like the, the person who made me and cared for me and sacrificed her life for me and literally is calling me a crackhead. And, uh, and the shame that I carried a long time after that and and that was because of the attachment of what it meant to be called a crackhead or what a crackhead is um it was absolutely horrible and i know people out there who are using they don't want the attachment of all the stuff that comes to that on them mm-hmm. so you have experiences that are similar at all no.
1: yeah with family i mean i'm indian it starts right there. I have a big Indian family, which starts with my parents. Like, um, they they spent most of their lives in India. They were brought up with very traditional values, and, and their culture was very traditionally Indian. And the Indian society, I mean, it's not even stigma. It's like addiction and issues are not brought up. Mental health issues are not brought up. It's all hush-hush, and if you have it, you get admitted to an asylum, and that's it you know? Um, So for me, it was really hard for my parents, of course, emotionally to accept that they had a daughter that struggled with addiction. And I remember the biggest question that would keep coming up when I would go away to treatment or um, even today, like in recovery, doing what I'm supposed to be doing is, but what are we supposed to tell our friends? You know, they, and I know it's coming from a loving place, as in today, after a lot of work, they're starting, they themselves are starting to accept me and accept what I'm doing in recovery, but their biggest concern is what are we supposed to tell our friends? What are you doing in Florida? How do we even answer to them? How do we answer to the community? And I think that's in large part because of the stigma that's associated with addiction.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's so interesting that oftentimes stigma is attached to like I don't know if you were involved in it, but there's like a caste system obviously in India. Mm-hmm. And it literally puts you in a, in America we don't really have a caste system, but there is socioeconomic divides. There's, you know, you know, upper, middle, lower class and all that stuff, but it puts you below all of that. Oh, like yeah. yeah, even if you make money, but if you're an active drug addict, you automatically go at this like subculture of people that have no value, like oh, yeah. second or third class citizen type stuff. So, and, and that's that's weird. I, I uh, as I read further in the article, I, I mean, there was a certain tone that I read, and I could be off of, of a little bit of, well, maybe it was defensiveness, but also it came off kind of angry uh, in that in that article. And um, I look at the other side of it, and then I, I had to ask myself, like, is that true? And I don't, I don't know if I can figure the facts out, like addiction, you know, overdoses. less harmful than stigma but if it keeps people from getting sober it's an issue or from coming into the rooms or asking for help and um, and that's oftentimes I think why we need to be broken so bad to the point where it no longer matters right and that's when we get through that usually through just through being wounded and we know that God enters through the wound right but that doesn't mean that the wounds of our friends and our family and that the stigma that then gets attached to them um, I mean this disease is not like any other disease it's not you know, nobody gets cancer and all of a sudden starts pawning all their family stuff. Hmm. You know, nobody, nobody gets, you know, diabetes and all of a sudden starts doing behaviors in the streets that, oh, my God, this is, that's a, an immoral, disgusting person for. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think if you look at the other side of the coin, though, um, you know, that, that argument that, it, well, stigma is fed by, you know, the people who don't understand uh, the disease because it really does make a lot of sense when people can choose to get up and go to work every day and have morally sound decisions why somebody with a quote-unquote illness can't do that if you haven't experienced it you know but at the same time I, I do think it's pertinent to take a look at some of the things that we do in active addiction without a moral judgment of the actual behaviors but as being a byproduct of the disease that definitely seem to add to stigma oh
1: yeah
0: yeah I mean I know that you know the just looking at it from a just being a member of a family or a society or a culture or a business, like literally the ability to show up is kind of just taken away from you. Cannot show up and then this, you know, in order to cover my tracks because of the guilt and because of the shame, I have to kind of be dishonest. I have to, you know, rob from Peter to pay Paul. I have to say these things to be able to get out of this scenario that I've created for myself. So, I mean, when you look at it from that standpoint, the people who usually care about us who are, who are wounded, it, it does make sense that they would at least have, I mean, some kind of feeling about that. I mean, you can you relate to that at all.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, my, before my parents, before I came out and, and just said it in that many words, like I have a, I have a problem with drugs and alcohol and I had to say it in that many words for my parents to finally start using the word addict or, you know, even talk about substance abuse. Um, the way my culture works and the way my family works was just, you know, sort of dance around the problem. They would address, well, why are you, why do you never show up to family things anymore? Why do you look funny? Why do you, why are you, I know you're stealing money. You know what I mean? I You can't keep your job. They'd address those things around me, but would never address the core issue.
0: Cause the moment you have it, then they have it too. So, well, I mean, to be able to have to say, my daughter's doing this or my son is doing this, yeah. then the neighbors then judge you for that too. And oh, look at them and, and all that stuff is based on the outside. Yeah. So I mean, like if anybody who's living a life where their happiness is based upon their reputation, which when we have a reputation-based life, what recovery's taught me is that, you know, I've, like I've done studies or speaking series, right? And I walk into a room and based on what I walk in and do or say or think or act or dress or any of that stuff, I get a certain reputation, right? Be it good or bad, you know, either which way, I get a reputation. So here's a question for you. I walk into a room, there's a hundred people. How many reputations do I have? A hundred. Right, and where are they located?
1: In each person's head.
0: Absolutely fact, right? You're pretty smart, a lot of people don't get that. I have a hundred locations, a hundred reputations located in the mind of other people, and then every time I'm living a life where I am attempting to manipulate the reputation in their mind, I'm probably in trouble because here's the, the okay let's say I do it well and they like me so then I like myself as a result but then if I don't do it well they don't like me I don't like myself so so one of the things I've been I've experienced through some step work and some some good mentoring is what what do you think is the major problem with that mindset
1: I'm not sure
0: if it's not in me the steps teach me then I can let it go right so even if you look at it from a recovery perspective when they say you know in a third step idea. Like I'm offering myself to thee to like build with me and do with me. I so well, that means that I don't really belong to myself. I belong to some kind of a higher power and a higher purpose. And that means like in, in essence at a full unconditional surrender, my life is not only, it's not my business, right? I'm here to be on purpose and do some certain things and all that stuff. And what happens usually will be better than when I author it. Does that make sense? Ask questions if it doesn't. I'm just trying to
1: think about how that relates to
0: I'm gonna add it to you. Okay. It's a it's a cumulative argument that builds. Okay. And it's not gonna be polite. All right. What's that? Well, well, just to stay on the topic of that, if I am trying to control somebody else's reputation in my head, okay, what is the most important thing to me? Where how do I define my value?
1: By your beliefs.
0: No, by what they believe.
1: What they believe.
0: Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah so whether it's friends family or ourselves if 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 that's the mainstay that they're going on it's yeah. already a broken concept right. so if my parents are, are worried about my addiction more than my life because they don't want the neighbors to know that mm. then they are by design their value comes from what the neighbors think of them got it so literally when we talk and go back to how do we like help the whole recovery in general thing, Mm. not only do we have to heal as addicts, but the community needs to heal as well. Does that make sense?
1: Okay. But then aren't we working to change core beliefs that's seated deep in the community and deep within other people's minds? How do we go? We can't go about doing that.
0: Well, now you're talking about a whole comprehensive plan that helps, you know, when this is kind of things we talked about off the podcast. Right, Peer community centers, education support centers, things like the al that also helps as well. Right, People getting education. I mean, spiritual transformation you know, is more than information, but it usually starts with information. Does that make sense? A parent would need to be brought somewhere where they're taught that your child is not bad. right? And then there's probably a process for them because somebody who's so afraid that they're going to be looked at in a poor manner because their child is sick, there might be some healing that they need to do as well.
1: Makes sense, and I, I do remember you speaking to me about that, and, and one of the things I said is this is such a huge topic, and you mentioned it earlier, that there's a lot to talk about when it when it's setting the problem, like what, what stigma is, how it's affecting us, how it's so prevalent in the community, and it's going to take a while to go into plausible solutions. Right. You know? So... That's going to be a huge part of what the other parts of this stigma associated episodes that we're going to be doing. Right. um, Is really going to discuss solutions, you know, that you might have researched, that you might have thought of, and talk about whether they're going to actually be effective and if they're going to be doable and by who.
0: Right. And, right. And, and and you know, here at Gatehouse, by jumping on the spam wagon, we're by no means inventing the wheel. Right, Like literally, I, I read a letter from the president's desk mm-hmm. about stigma and how language is created to stigma. And there are places like Faces and Voices of Recovery. There are many coalitions that are already working on anti-stigma campaigns. Right. SAMHSA has one, right? There's a bunch of different organizations, but it's, it's a campaign worthwhile. And if we're going to I mean, I don't believe in a war on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I love what Mother Teresa said. When she she wouldn't join when they asked, we're going to stand against this. And she said, no, I'll come to a rally for peace, but I'm not going to stand against anything. Right? So if if we're looking at helping the addiction problem on a national level, it's going to be in campaigns that are for some things. Right. And one part of that discussion is going to be the proper mindset against addiction so I I mean we're gonna have multiple different series that that are all part of this which hopefully we can join and make a little dent in the campaign of stigma but there it it is always great to look at both sides right and to hopefully come out with just the difference between discernment and judgment you know to jump on judgment and talking about personal experience you know with stigma I kind of have a social media problem I'm not ready to address it yet but I watch on social media a lot of what people do and uh you know, I see there's a certain category of people that literally attack addicts that, that, oh, yeah. that, that say all kinds of mean stuff through memes and whatever it is oh, yeah. and literally like pray for the death of addicts. And I think that's a whole other part of a series in, in which that, that is just, I don't believe they're bad people. I believe that they fully believe that addiction is a choice. And that because they're able to do certain things because they decided to and have certain morals and, and willpower in certain areas of their life, why can't these other people? Mm-hmm. And they're hurt by some kind of personal experience that somebody else has put upon them in addiction. They lost a lover. They, they were cheated on. They were whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, they attack. You know, I'm, I'm very aware that hurt people hurt people, that there's never an intentional harm caused. I'm always lying to myself mm-hmm. and then defending myself in some way, which is why I would attack somebody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, my general motto about that has been, like, stay away from those people. They don't matter. Don't listen to them. But the problem is that thought process is deeply ingrained in our society. Those people that you're talking about on Facebook make up parts of our society. So I can't just avoid it. I can't ignore those people. We can't continue just pushing them to the side because they show up as my bosses or not here, but, you know, in outside for other people. They show up at their workplace, they show up um, in the healthcare industry. You know, I had surgery recently in October. And when I went into the hospital, repeatedly, many hospitals, many doctor's visits, um, I found more often than not, I felt like I was being judged when I was telling medical professionals I'm an addict, I would like to stay away from painkillers as much as possible.
0: Right. You just split the conversation into two, so let me address both. One is, you know, there was, have you ever heard of William James? No. He wrote the Varieties of Religious Experiences book that was brought to Bill Wilson in his hospital bed by Abby Thatcher at the very beginning of the whole AA thing in that book he talks one of the things he writes about a bunch of lectures he writes about conversion experiences one of the things he talks about is about religion and he was kind of an atheist writer but he talked about or he was an atheist but he wasn't for any one religion but he talked about how religions have caused all these harms and and towards other people so we look at them in certain ways but then but what religions have given to the world is a certain amount of enlightened individuals if you will whatever it is who earned a certain consciousness that have really changed nations if not worlds and if you look at a person like martin luther king he was one who understood, just like what you were talking about, that, yes, there were people being oppressed, but he also understood that the oppressors were in pain as well. And so he never came after. He took a very different approach than a Malcolm X by any means necessary. So he understood that those people who were you know, in the Civil Rights Movement who were the whites, who were you know, coming after blacks, they also needed healing as well. Those 10, 20, whatever percentage of people who just hate addicts, if they don't heal the problem won't go away. And they're probably gonna heal by personal relationships of other people who have converted and changed and show them, because they'll never be debated. I've tried to debate a couple people on Facebook and and logic doesn't seem to work, (laughs) right? But by example, they can probably have some compassion and forgiveness. That's the one part that you brought up. The other one is the the medical field, right? At five years sober, my my first tour in recovery, I had two heart attacks. Mm and I'll never forget going into the hospital. It was actually not five, it was five and change. I was just coming up on my sixth year anniversary. And the week before that I had two heart attacks. The first one I didn't go to the hospital. I thought I just had some bad food, I don't know. Wrote out a heart attack. And the second one I drove around actually. The second one I was too much and too painful and I wound up going to the hospital. And they took my blood and they eventually found out that it's called troponins in my blood, enzymes released when your heart's been damaged. And they put me in the back room and they were like, you just had a heart attack or whatever, they gave me a room. Doctor comes in, first time I see the actual doctor, doctor. And he's like, were you doing cocaine? I was 35, I was pretty young for heart attack. And I was like, no, I wasn't doing cocaine. And I kind of boastfully says, I'm, I'm about to be six years sober. Mm-hmm. And he looks directly at me and he's like, no, did you do cocaine this weekend? And I was like, six years sober, cocaine <laughs> this weekend? No, no, I did not do any cocaine. I just said I was gonna be six years sober. And, he, and he, he didn't look at me again. He looked at his chart. He looked over at the nurse and he's like, Get a toxicology on everything on this guy. And he walked out of the room. Mm. And I got pissed. And I was like, What's like? And then I realized I was in Lake Worth, Florida, right, in a hospital where this guy's probably seen people walk in with axes in their legs, tweaked out of their freaking mind, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, You're on drugs, sweating profusely, maybe a needle still sticking out of their arms, yeah. track marks. And they're like, You drugs? And they're like, Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because it kind of makes sense that he would question that, mm-hmm. um, but there was a certain arrogance to, to the conversation where he was like, "It doesn't matter what this person says; I'm moving on." You know, and um, and I think that's that's a, that's somewhat of an education, maybe lacking a personal experience with addicts that are doing well, kind of a mix that might address that issue as well.
1: Yeah, and I think you talked about it before. It's also a lot of that. I think that judgment and what that doctor was doing comes from his experience as a result of actions that addicts took in active using you know what i mean when they were in their active addiction they came into that hospital in lake worth with the needle sticking out of their arm blatant, profusely lying to the medical professionals saying I, i'm not on drugs what are you talking about so people who don't experience this for themselves don't don't understand how to make that differentiation or even understand that, that what recovery means to somebody in recovery that. That we don't act the way we used to anymore. That we change our thinking and our behaviors, lying, stealing. And you're right, it's a big part of educating them.
0: Sounds like even touching the problem would be multifaceted. Oh, yeah. So you have a a group of individuals that are in what the language would be long term recovery. Mm -hmm. I don't even like the term addict. If I go to a meeting and I go, you know, my name is Rocky, I'm an addict, it's not what I am. Right. Addiction is a condition that I have, and by no means do I suffer from it anymore. Right? I didn't suffer from it right after I got into the steps. Right? Do I have life issues? Of course we all do, right? But but to go and profess, I'm an addict, and then to hear we hear this, you know, I'm, I'm suffering from the disease of addiction, well, why are you suffering? Mm. If there's a treatment to arrest that aspect of the disease, then that's not necessary. So a population in recovery that actually does some kind of advocacy and, ad, and 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 community organizing probably on a local level that whole think globally but act locally idea and, and then goes out and talks to the professionals and, and, and gives them the other side of the argument mm-hmm. while also living with the principles in our life that show that we get better and that we can be productive and, and civilized, so to speak. Right. And then a whole nother, you know thing, uh, which would be more of a, I don't know if it's professional or through, you know, non-profit organizations, that's more educatory for those that don't know, not just medical professionals, but them as well, right, but family, friends, and I think all of these things have already happened, so the question is, is where am I with that personally as a member of the community, right? If this podcast is about sober community, you know, inviting people out, and, and, and I think over this next, this whatever campaign we're doing on stigma, getting people involved, right? You're Gonna start to look up some things, put out some, some ideas, and, and join the already existing organizations and different events, and, and get it, gathering people so we can all do our part. Because this is definitely bigger than us.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think we've done what we sort of wanted to um, for this podcast episode. You're we telling me to shut up? are going to come back. Are
0: you, are you shut me down?
1: In the nicest way possible. It's awesome. We are out of time. No problem. But we are going to come back with episodes every week. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be centered around stigma. Um So, definitely, I guess, leave comments, um, feedback. If you don't agree with us, if you agree with us, um, I'm excited to see where this takes us.
0: All information is welcome, all input is welcome. We certainly can't do this alone, so we definitely need you guys. So, get involved. Please join us.